thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for the life that you have given us. And not just the life here in the physical and natural, Lord, but the spiritual life, Lord, which you have imparted through Christ Jesus to us. We thank you today that we know you. And I pray for each one here, Lord, that we might be known of you. We thank you that your great love and your great compassion, Lord, has reached down to us to touch us and to change us. And I pray, Lord, that we would continue to walk with you and surrender to you in our personal situations in life, in our life, Lord, so that you can do what you do the best, Lord, and that is uh, increase and change and do all these different things, Lord, that are beyond us as individuals to do. We pray, Lord, for those who don't know you. There's so many out there, Lord, that that go to church every day, Lord, but they don't know you. And I pray, Lord, for those who go to church, Lord, and assume certain things that as far as your life and the impartation of that, and they assume certain things, I pray, Lord, for illumination. We thank you today, and we look to you at this, this time now and during the service, Lord, I pray our hearts would be pointed toward you and we would look to you, Lord, because you're the one who has the keys. You're the one who has uh, eternal life. You are the one who can impart uh, the riches of Christ. And without you, Lord, there is no hope. But with you, you can do all things, I know. In Jesus' name. Let's turn to Mark 4 as a starting point today. In the first verse, and again he began to teach by the sea. This is Jesus. And a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Jesus here begins to speak to the multitude, and of course, to his disciples, those who are following along with him, those whom he has chosen, those in whom uh, he wants a specific purpose for their life, those in, in whom he will give direction continually as he, uh, as he walks along with them. And after he's gone, those will continue on in that which they have seen and heard and handled of the word of life. And so here you have this, this great diversity of people, as you do in churches, where you have various heart conditions. You have heart conditions that are soft and pliable, able to receive from the Lord very easily. And then you have those who maybe, uh, because they are entwined with their life and their, themselves, they're not so receptive uh, the Lord must work and do something in them if they would hear him uh, so that he can plant in them and do certain things, change certain things, take certain things out. And then you have those who they hear, they hear uh, the physical thing, the word, but it doesn't profit them and nothing happens. There's never a change. The life that God wants to impart never really takes hold there in their life. So in every group, 
you have, like I said, the multitudes. You have all these heart conditions. And Jesus addresses this in this parable, though we're not going to look at the parable, we're just going to look at a few verses. He addresses this as he does today, various heart conditions. In verse 10, so he tells them about the sower uh, in the beginning verses, the first eight or nine verses. He tells them about the sower, and even his close disciples now don't understand. And you know there are various things in our life. We will enter certain things, certain circumstances, and we will not understand. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. I don't care how much revelation you have. There are certain things you do not understand. And there's a purpose for that. So that we must, we must have faith in God. Or we won't progress. We won't make it. And so in verse 10, but when he was alone, those around him with the twelve asked him about the parable. So Jesus, he speaks in parables, as we know. And, you know, this hasn't changed. We think now, because we read the Bible and he spoke in parables then, that that's done away with. Well, what he actually says, of course, is, is written. You know, he said it back then. But Jesus still today speaks in parables for reasons. And the, the word that is broken forth is, I believe, many times in parable form so that only certain heart conditions we'll see, we'll receive, and then the illumination of that will come. But other heart conditions, and I'm, I'm specifically talking about Christians now, not just the world, other heart conditions will not see. So it, it doesn't really matter if a person goes to church for 20 years. There will be certain things you will not see, period, unless you have a heart for God and he's able to do certain things in your personal life that changes something in you so that now the understanding of the parable, not here, but in your spirit, in your heart, now you understand what was said. And I remember years ago, this was before Jake was the pastor. When the church started, we didn't have a pastor. And so one of the men called up to Butler, and they asked for one of the students to come down and pastor the church until we got a pastor. And so Charles Hahn came in, and I thought he was a student. And he started to talk, and I said, there's no way this guy's a student. And I, I understood the words he was using but it was almost as though he was speaking in parables. It's like, I just couldn't understand and grasp what he was saying. He was speaking in English, but yet I couldn't grasp certain things. It was beyond me. And it wasn't until the Lord took me through some certain difficult circumstances that I started to see certain things that he taught, and the understanding of that came later. But I often wonder, and I believe I, I know the answer to this, if I would not have gone through certain things, and if I would not have walked with God in them, I don't believe I would have ever understood certain things. You know, you sit here, I sit here, we hear all these different things about the Word of God. But that does not mean we have it. 
The Spirit will work it into your life, but you must walk with Him in the good places and in the difficult places, or you will not have hearing. You will not have understanding. You will not perceive certain things. And it's amazing to me sometimes how a person can be in church 10, 15, 20, 25 years, and they don't catch certain things. Because, you see, it's not up here in your mind. It's that you must catch certain things in your spirit, and then the Lord reveals that to you later. So there's a process involved here. Verse 11, and he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things are, uh, are or come in parables. So remember that even though he says here, it is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, or the mystery, still that key to the kingdom to unlock the mystery would come later because you'll see throughout the scriptures, especially in the Gospels, that you know Jesus said certain things and they didn't understand what he was saying. So afterward, they understood. He spoke of this or this or this. Afterward. See, because they had to go through certain things in their personal life, in their walk. They had to. And so even though it was given to them, so let's say I, I have something and I say, okay, James, here. I'm giving this to you. Okay, there it is. Well, just because it's given doesn't mean that he has taken that up and received that and understands that. There must be in spirit a, a picking up, a handling, like John says in the, in the epistle. That which we have seen, that which we have heard, that which we have handled of the word of life. He wasn't talking about touching Jesus physically. He's talking about handling something in spirit. And his prayer in the first epistle was that you would understand what we know. That we, what we know, he uses this word we, meaning those who have gone through certain processes and were able to handle and pick up certain things in spirit. And now the revelation is there, and not only is it just a revelation in, in the heart, but it's active that it produces something in the life that, that's moving. Verse 12, so that seeing they may see and not perceive. This is why the, the parable, why did Jesus speak like this? Seeing that they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should see. So, so the parables here, they will keep certain heart conditions from understanding the kingdom of God or understanding certain things the Lord brings out, certain things the Lord puts out there. You know, unless the heart condition is such to receive that, then it's a parable and it keeps them out. Hearing they may hear and understand lest or unless they should turn. So you see, there, there must be something that takes place within the heart that opens the individual now to understanding and perceiving and seeing something in spirit. Just hearing messages is not it. I mean, it's good. But something must occur in the individual's heart and in their life for that 
piece of the puzzle or that bit of revelation or that which is life for them to be handled and, and it comes into the heart and life and goes out. And so just coming to church, just hearing the word of God, just reading the Bible, that's good. But see, it's much more than that. And a person can be in this for a long time and still not perceive certain things. Sometimes I think I assume too much when it comes to people uh, understanding and perceiving certain things. And then when they talk or they say something, you know that they don't understand. They think they understand because they're here, they, you know, or, or wherever they are, uh, because they, they're in church, they, they, make, they make a habit, a good habit of maybe reading, praying, all that. But see, there's more. Something must occur in the heart unless there is a change. There will always be parables that will not be understood by the individual. They can't move in certain things because of it, because of their own heart condition. Lest they should turn, and he says, and their sins be forgiven them. Now, this is a quote from, hold your place right there, and let's just go to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6, and this is the familiar portion of Scripture, where Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. In verse 8, he says, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. So that requires... Now listen to me. That requires a certain heart condition. To be sent by the Lord requires a certain heart condition. Because in the sending, the individual has no idea where the Lord is sending them. Into what? Into what? difficulty or problem or whatever it may be that they must personally overcome. So even though some may hear that, who will go for us? Only, I believe, a handful will answer that and answer it with a certain heart where that particular thing can be fulfilled in and through their life. Here am I, send me. And the Lord said, verse 9, Go and tell this people. So there is a message of the life, or in the life of Isaiah, or in the life of those that answer the call to go. There will be a certain message that comes forth depending upon that individual, whatever the Lord has in that individual that he's doing you know, is going to bring forth. But in the context here, he says, go tell this people, keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the people, uh, make the heart of this people dull. Well, what makes them dull? The word of God is what makes them dull. How did the Lord harden Pharaoh's heart? Through the word of God sent to him through Moses. He couldn't receive that word. And the people here, their heart remains dull because they couldn't hear the word. I'm not talking about understanding it. 
I'm talking about hearing it with a certain heart that will receive it, and it, that heart is willing, even though there is not the understanding there. See, we're not really called to understanding. Do you know that? We're called to follow. But with the following, eventually comes understanding. But we're not called to understand everything. There's a lot we won't understand. So Jesus doesn't say, follow me and you'll understand everything. He just says, come and follow me. And in the process certain things occur in the individual that brings about understanding and revelation. So your following is very, very important, and we're not really going to get to that today, but maybe we'll finish it next week. Our following him is critical. And our following him in our personal circumstances is absolutely necessary and critical for our development. Well, you don't know what I'm going through. Well, you think you're the only person that's gone through things like this? You think you're the only person that goes through certain things in your life? No, we all do in various ways and means. Verse 10, make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and shut their eyes lest or unless they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. See, so there is a turning. There is something that takes place within the individual's heart now that moves them from where they are now to this place of receptivity, of this place where now their heart is being softened more and more and more. And in that place that... Yeah, you get this understanding and so on. And then he finishes the verse, and return and be healed. See, so there, there's a healing that takes place there in the individual. Now back in Mark, where we were, Mark 4, and I'll say this in another way, the, the reason or the purpose for the parables I believe is to keep certain heart conditions out from the kingdom or from knowing certain things. You know, people in the world can pick up, worldly people could pick up the Bible and read it and can understand, well, Jesus was, you know, here, he was walking on the water, uh, he's teaching, he's talking about the parables. Oh, now I understand because he says, now this is what this means. So because he says that, I understand. That's, that's not it. It's not an understanding with the mind. See, anybody in the world can read the Bible and can read certain things in, in the Bible and perceive it with their mind what the, word is, the words are saying. But in the words, there is locked up life. Did you know that? You know, the words here, if you take a chapter in the Bible, let's say there's 200 words in this chapter. All those words are used in other places, like in a newspaper. It's the same words used in newspaper, but in a different order. God has locked up life, this is amazing to me, in a certain word order given in the Bible. He locks up life in there. And the only way that's unlocked 
is by a certain heart condition. And there it is. Oh, wow. And my mother, I don't know if I've ever shared this before or not, I probably did, but she read the Bible for 25 years. She, once a year, she'd write, read it from cover to cover. And whenever we, uh, someone preached the gospel to us and we responded and received Christ as our Savior, she told me she read the Bible starting at that point again, and in one year, she understood more than she understood reading it once a year for 25 years. Why was that? Because now, you know, life that was there of Christ was received, and that opened her up to receive the life of God and all that's locked up in the Scripture. So she understood more. Not that she understood everything, but she understood she was able to see. And so Jesus speaks in parables to keep certain hard conditions out. So all there needs to be is a turning, and then there is a movement, and now there is an opening of the parable. Now in Hebrews 6, let's turn there, Hebrews 6, 1. And I just want to show you one phrase here in this verse. Excuse me. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, uh, maturity, completion, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. This last phrase here, faith toward God, toward here is this preposition. It's a primary preposition. It's In the Greek, it's uh, pronounced epi. And... Uh, that translates, uh, or it means direction towards or upon. So <clears throat> there is to be faith towards God or upon. I, I can understand why they, they use the word toward. Does it say toward in the King James? Yes. And not upon, because you, if you would hear upon, you'd say, what do you mean having faith upon God? What does that mean? But the actual meaning means, means the rest that follows the movement. Do you understand that? The rest that follows the movement. So there is movement. To every man was given a measure of faith when we start. So now there is a motion toward God, and it's the rest that follows that movement. So your faith moves from your heart to God and then rests upon Him. Not resting upon what God can do for you or for whoever. It's resting upon Him alone. Faith toward God or epi. Faith upon Him, resting upon Him alone. Whether He does anything that you want or he doesn't. That's beside the point. True faith must rest upon God alone. And then out from that, he does what he does. But faith is to be upon him, toward and resting upon him. Now, that's very, very important because you and I, as I said earlier, we will find certain times in our life and in our walk 
that we will not understand a situation or something that goes on in our life. We won't understand it. Uh, we won't perceive what God is doing. See, there, there's so many things that God does, not just with Christians, but you know, with unsaved people that we don't know what he's doing. We don't see it all. You know, we don't understand a lot of the ways of God. And we went to a funeral a month or so ago, a couple of months ago, and one of Linda's nephews died, 26 years old. And he worked in one of the bars in Station Square, so they had the wake in this bar. And of course, you know how things go. Once people have a few drinks, they get more bold to say things that maybe they wouldn't say if they didn't have a few drinks. So after about six or seven drinks, this one individual was standing there or clo in close proximity to me, and he starts talking about this 26-year-old nephew of his and how I don't know why God took him. He was a good guy, and there's a lot of other people that are worse, and why would he's looking at me for an, an answer to defend God? And he said, why would God do such a thing? It makes no sense to me. And I, I just looked at him. I said, because God is God, and he does what he wants. God is God. We don't understand certain things. We do what Job did. We ask the question, why? Why this? Why that? Why do I have to go through this? Why is this the way it is? Why can't it be this way? We don't see the ways of God. We, we don't know. We don't perceive them. So, because of that, if we believe that, we must have faith in him alone. See, that's where our faith must rest upon God, because we won't understand certain things. We won't see certain things. You know, why did this happen to this person that I love so much? Well, I don't know. Are you going to let that turn you from God? Or are you going to have faith in him? Regardless of what is going on, regardless of whether you understand it, perceive it, see it, or not. Are you going to still have faith in him? See, so that becomes a key for you and I, all of us. It becomes a key. Remember Jesus said, I give you the keys to the kingdom. It becomes a key to unlock certain spiritual things. So that if I take the wrong view of that, I cannot unlock certain spiritual things that the Lord has for me because of my view and my attitude. But if I have faith toward God and say, well, I don't understand that, then I just use the key and, and I might understand something or see something. And even if I don't, there are sp certain spiritual things that now that that unlocks that bring me to completion, as he says here in uh, verse 1. Let us go on to perfection, completion. Uh, to be complete in character. You can't be complete in char character uh, if you don't have faith toward God. See, because there will be things that will happen that, that will cause you to stumble and you won't walk in a certain way or in a certain place because you don't understand why the Lord is doing that. Why won't the Lord let me do this or that? Well, that's not your business. It's not my business. 
why didn't the Lord allow me when I was single to date or get involved with certain Christian women that I met? Well, I knew why at the time, but you know, why does God do these things? Well, he does things to test you so that he can see where your faith dwells. Is it in what you want? Is it in the way you want to go? Is it in what you think or how you think things should be? Or are you going to allow, am I going to allow God to be God and allow him to do what he wants? Because he's going to do what he wants anyway. Do you know that? So in Hebrews, well, before we turn to Hebrews, let's go to Romans 4. You know, it's so easy to read in the Bible about these different men and women of faith. You know, like you go to Hebrews 11. They call it the faith chapter. It's easy to go and read that chapter. You can read it in a couple minutes. And you can see the words. You can see you know, what it's saying about different men and women of God. That's quite different than having the rubber meet the road in your personal life, isn't it? Yeah. Verse 22. And therefore it was accounted to him, meaning uh, Abraham, for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe or have, who have faith in him, in God, upon him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead. Now you read about Abraham, and Abraham was 86 years old when Ishmael was born. And we know that Ishmael was not the uh, son of promise, so he's 86. When he turns 100, now Isaac's born. Now, how many years is that? 14 years. Well, what happened in 14 years? Between the flesh and, so to speak, the promise of the spirit, uh, Isaac. Between Ishmael and Isaac, there's 14 years. Well, what's going on in those 14 years? Well, the Bible doesn't say. It does say some things, but I guarantee you that Abraham had faith in God. For the promise to come to pass, Abraham had to have faith in God. And Abraham's faith was tested, as we know later on, even after Isaac is born, and he begins to be, become a young man. His faith is tested again. But why did God have to do that? Well, he, you know what? God will work and do things to bring about his best for you, and he won't consult you in the process. Because if he's going to consult me, and he's going to ask me, I would say, well, I'd rather not go through this. Let's do it a different way. But God is God, and you have to let him be God uh, in your personal life, my personal life, and surrender to him so that he brings us from one place to another, or he, he develops you, he brings you to maturity, he does something in your life that cannot be done any other way. I believe that if God, you know, if there was a better way, God would choose the better way. See, because he wants the best for you, he wants the best for me. 
So if he wants his best for us, then now we have a choice whether we are going to walk with God in a certain way, you know, follow him in order to bring about his best, or we can go another way and maybe bring about the good rather than the better or the best. So, you know, there's, like they use the term, there's wiggle room. Well, there's wiggle room as far as, I don't want to say wiggle room, but there's, there's different ways that accomplish certain things. And if we want the best, we must go God's way. We must have faith in him that his way for us is best. So, you know, that, that says to me that in our circumstances, what we need to do is have faith in God. See, that's where your development is going to be or um, the potential for your development will be in your faith toward God, the working of that, the working out of that. Now, in Hebrews 3 here, let's turn there. So the Lord had me at one point teaching the book of Ruth, the first time I taught it, and he started to reveal all kinds of things. And, you know, I was pretty innocent back then, I mean, to the point where I didn't, I didn't know what was going on, if you understand what I'm saying. You know, when the Lord shows you certain things, I thought, well, this is great. This is for me. Well, it is for me. It was for somebody else, too. But um, I thought, wow, this is really fantastic. And then the working out of that, that was different. So the Lord showed me certain things and said, okay, this is the best that you don't date. Now, there are people, Christians, that meet other Christians through dating services and a host of other ways and you know that's that's whatever i believe god can can do good through certain things but you see in the bible the lord is always after his best for us so i went to this is a spiritual thing I went to this Bible study, and there was this girl that I met. And then also, I met two other girls in Pittsburgh when I was driving. And in my spirit, right away, the Lord says, don't even talk to her. But, you know, you reason. Well, she's a Christian. She loves the Lord. Why not talk to her? Well, am I going to go my way and in my thinking, or am I going to go in God's way and achieve his best in the process and so i didn't talk to her and it seemed like it, i remember there was a two-year period i met all kinds of girls and every, it was like the lord was tearing me up <laughs> oh boy you know i i say this but i mean you have no idea you meet, you meet this girl you've been single for 10 years for 12 years you say well Lord is She's the one, don't even talk to her. Don't even look at her. Okay, Lord. And so that thing goes on and on and on. Until finally there's a, a breakthrough in that. And you move through that. And now, see, the whole, the whole time you can teach that. Because you, you can teach it with some type of authority and power because you're living it. Now, I personally believe that I would not be able to teach certain things 
from the Bible or, for example, the book of Ruth, if I didn't walk through that for me personally. And so you come out of that thing, and then now you see that God, this was God's best. But, you know, in that, am I going to say, Lord, I don't agree with you. I don't see anything wrong with this. Why can't I do this? Why can't I do that? Everybody else is doing it. You know, what's that to you? Follow thou me. Okay. So I have to have faith in God alone and not in what he could or would not do for me personally. See, and this rolls down to all of us. And even today, you must have faith in him alone to be successful in this walk as a Christian. You must. Or else we will stumble. We will fall. We will have problems. I don't like the way my life is going. I don't like this. You know, I'd rather have it this way. I'd rather have it that way. What's that to you? Let God be God. Follow thou me. Let the Lord be the Lord. Believe me, he's good at what he does. And he'll keep the whole thing hidden to you if he has to. Many times he does. But then as you walk through, you'll start to see, oh, now I understand why this was like this and why I was not to do a certain thing or walk in a certain way. Now I see. Now it's clear to me. But before that, I had all this up here, my head. But, you know, it didn't help me. All, the only thing it, it does is has you think about this, that, and the other thing, go this way, do this, do that. And it doesn't profit you as far as God's best. So in Hebrews 4, or 3, verse 12. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you. Now, he's talking to who? To whom? To Christians. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief in a Christian? Let me read this verse. Then Jesus said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. And then Jesus says to Thomas, Do not be unbelieving, but believe. So it's not, it's not meaning that he's an unbeliever, like we, we you know, use that term. It says he was unbelieving. So we can be Christians, but yet be unbelieving in a certain area and the Lord must, must change that. There must be a change there. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. Unbelief, if, if I persist or you persist in unbelief in an area of your life, that can cause you to depart from God. Now, you might still go to church. You might even read the Bible but there may be a departure in here. And in my experience of people, certain people leaving the church, they had departed in their heart sometimes long before they depart from a church, this church or any church. If, that, if they're not departing in the will of God, I'm talking about you know, just leaving. There's a departure. Something takes place within them. There's unbelief. So he says here, and departing from the living God. But exhort one another 
while it is called today. So, in other words, in verse 12, um, the opposite here, if you would put this in, into the positive, that we should have a, have a good heart, instead of an evil heart of unbelief, we should have a good heart of faith toward God. Now go down to verse 18. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? But to those who did not obey. So now something else comes into the picture. Obedience. So let's look at verse 19. And, and then we'll look at this for a second. So we see that they could not enter in. Now this, in the English, could not here, is, have you heard the word, Greek word dunamis? This is dunamai or dunamai, something like that. I don't know exactly. But it's a form of the word dunamis, meaning power or ability. So it's not that the Lord said to them, well, you can't enter in. I'm not going to allow you to enter in. It's that they could not enter in because they did not have the power, the dunamai, the dunamis, or they, they did not have the ability to enter in because of unbelief. See, so they're entering in, and the context here is the promised land. They could not enter in, they did not have the ability to enter in because of unbelief. So we will not have the ability to enter into certain things the Lord has for us if we are in unbelief. So if I would have said, Lord, you know, why can't I do this instead of, you know, waiting for you to bring the right person along? Then I would have entered into unbelief and that would have caused me to not enter into this the promise, this place that the Lord has his best see because you know I, I couldn't be I could not enter in because I won't have the ability or the power so in these two verses verse 19 you have unbelief or put it in the positive again see we are to have faith in God or upon God it is to rest upon God in order to enter into certain things that the Lord has for you and I certain spiritual things, spiritual places, however you want to put that. And verse 18, we must have obedience. So faith and obedience are both crucial things for us in our walk and in our development with the Lord. If we don't have faith in him, and if we don't have obedience to him, we're not going to go too far. So if, let, let's say that I know the east end of Pittsburgh extremely well, and you want to go there. You want to go to a certain place there. And I say, well, okay, you have to go here, you have to make a left at this, this particular place, and then you go down, and, you, and I give you all the directions or the directive to get to that place. But you don't think I know what I'm talking about, and so you don't listen to anything I say. Well, will you be able to arrive at that place? Well, I don't know. That may not be the best example. But the point is this, that the Lord will give us directives. 
through his word. And if we follow that directive, if we, have, if we don't have faith in him alone, we are not going to follow his directives. We're not going to be obedient to his word if we don't have faith. Because if faith comes by hearing, and see, that's the source, and hearing by the word of God, or hearing the word of God. So our faith in him will bring about certain things in our life once it is coupled up with obedience. So now we have faith toward God so that now he gives us a direction or a directive and we obey him. So now you have both of those things in the picture. And of course you cannot, you cannot follow the Lord. Cannot follow the Lord without obedience to him. It doesn't work. So you cannot follow the Lord and follow your thinking and your ways and the way you think things should be and the way you think things should go. You won't follow him. Now, following is not a difficult thing. You know, it's not. You know, we don't have to have knowledge to follow the Lord. Do you know that? You don't have to have knowledge. You're not called to knowledge we are called to follow. The disciples were called to follow. Now, they, they got knowledge, but they weren't called to that specifically. They shared. John taught. But that was after years and years of following. See, and then what he taught had some authority to it. You know, he knew certain things. But see, you have to have faith and you have to obey the directives that he gives you. Faith and obedience. And those two things are critical to our development as Christians. Not faith. Let's just close and let's look at just one more verse here. Matthew 7. Well, let's, let's pass on that. I'll, I'll, we'll pick up with that next week. Uh, let's just close with Deuteronomy 8, verse 11. Beware that you do not forget the Lord, uh, your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. So he uses this word, it's a pretty strong word, beware. Beware. That you obey. Beware that... You, know, you obey or you have obedience in your walk with him. So you have these two key elements, faith in God, in him, and then obedience to him to work out what it is he's, he's looking for in your life.